I'm sorry. That's just so good. I am who he says I am. That's, if you knew me, it would even be more amazing to you. In your worship folder is an outline to follow along with, um, some verses and some, some fill-ins today. We are, um, we're in a series called For Such a Time as This, hence the clock, to remind you that such a time as this, and it's not the right time, don't worry, we're not that late yet. Um, last, this is week three, and we're doing this a little different. We're going through, um, we're kind of looking at the book of Esther, but we're not just going through it and walking through it. We actually spent the first week kind of telling you the, basically the whole story, giving you the characters and talking about the story, and, and then we're looking for a few weeks at some of what I consider the big, big lessons um, from this book. So if this, is your, if this is your first time here, welcome. We're glad you're here as our guest today. Um, if you want to catch up, you can always go to iloveourchurch.com. Right now, it's a temporary thing, and it'll say that on the site. We're working to make it better for you, but there's links there to the sermon so that you can go back and listen to um, the first week and then last week. Because last week in, in week two, what we did was we asked, what, what is it that really breaks your heart? I know some of you are going through difficult times right now, and when we say that maybe, maybe you were made for this moment, maybe it was for such a time as this, and you're looking at the time that you're in right now, and it's really tough. Maybe it's not the time that you're in. Maybe it's something that a passion that God has laid on your heart, and there's something that just breaks your heart. And we talked about that last week, and, and the fact that Esther had that, and she decided to step up and do something to do something as a result, to, to not just be part of the complaining, because every, everybody can do that, not just to, to be part of, of, of everybody saying their stuff, you know, and, and I'm part of the problem, but to really be a part of the solution. We ask, where can I lay my life on the line and be used by God to make a difference in some way? Where can that happen? So today, what we're going to talk about is the power of one. The power of one. Uh, we've been learning from the story of Esther some pretty great lessons about what heroism looks like, but even more, we've been looking at what the sovereignty and providence of God looks like in a pagan culture. Because here's the truth. God is always at work in, around, and through us. And he's going about the work of salvation and the work of redeeming people from their unbelief and its consequences. He's always doing that, and he's still doing it today, and he wants to use you to be a part of that, just like he did Esther and Mordecai. Remember, we said that this is the only book in the Bible where God is not even mentioned. There's 10 chapters, and his name is not even in it, but his fingerprints and power are seen throughout the whole book, literally through the whole book in every chapter and verse. Um, just a brief synopsis, it opens up, the book opens up with King Xerxes having a 180-day banquet. That's a, a six-month banquet. He called it a banquet. It was a drunken feast for six months with all of the nobles, and the purpose of the 180-day banquet was to honor himself. That's why he did that. After that, I guess that wasn't enough. They had another banquet. It was a seven-day banquet, and that was for everybody else. 
Everybody else in the whole fortress of Susa, in the whole area there, it wasn't just for the nobles and, and the, the biggie mucky mucks and stuff. He has another banquet right after that, a seven-day banquet for everyone else. And on the seventh day, the last day of this drunken party, you know, open bar, every, there's usually a, a, a kind of one of these unwritten rules. It may have been written, but I think it was unwritten rule, that as long as the king was drinking, you could drink. When the king stopped, you had to stop. So people were glad when they got a king who really liked to drink. At this particular party, he even said, you know what, that rule doesn't apply here. Anybody can have as much as they want. Seven days go by. At the end of this, the king, Xerxes, calls for his wife, the queen, Queen Vashti, to come in and, like he says, to entertain the men with her beauty. All these drunken guys, the entertaining was going to involve things she didn't want to do. And she said no. She refused. We talked a little bit about that last week. Um, her husband, is uh, the king, is obviously very upset because his wife's not listening. And it's funny because he goes to his nobles for advice. And his nobles' advice is, oh man, if, if everybody gets word of this, that the king's wife, the queen, doesn't listen to the king, our wives aren't going to listen to us anymore. That's their biggest concern. And so they pass a law that says, whatever the man says in the house is final. His word goes. And I'm sure after that, everybody lived happily ever after, and everything was good. But the counsel they gave him was to banish the queen from his sight. No longer was she going to be queen. He's going to choose another queen. And there's kind of an involved story about how they do that. But after a year of preparation, um, the the king is going to pick from all these girls. And the girl that Xerxes chooses to be queen is Esther, this young Jewish girl who had been adopted and raised by her older cousin Mordecai. Mordecai kind of comes in and out because he's one of the officials too. And, and in the process of being in there, he overhears two of the king's guards talking and plotting to kill the king. They can't stand what he does. They don't like him, and they're plotting to kill him. And so this um, uh, Mordecai then tells Queen Esther, you know, these two guys are planning to do that. She passes this intel on to Xerxes, um, giving Mordecai credit, and that kind of raises all their standing a little bit. But meanwhile, there's this very, very bad guy named Haman. And Haman is made... Yeah, thank you (laughs) for the booze. Um, Haman is... When we did it that Sunday, I said, every time I say his name, you have to say boo because he was bad. So when I said the name Haman, see, that's what we did. It was a lot of fun. Um, he, He was made the number two guy under Xerxes and was pretty proud of that. And Xerxes the king had kind of made it a thing where every time he came by, everybody had to bow down. And so everybody in the whole fortress of Susa where they had their headquarters there bowed down except one guy, and that was Mordecai. He said, I'm not bowing down to him. Mordecai is, is coming along in his faith, and he's, he's, he's recognizing what, who God is and what he can do, but he's I, I'm not going to do that. And that really, really ticks off um, Haman, and, and he decides um, he's going to get Mordecai. And, and all of the Jews. He plots to kill Mordecai, and he plots to have every single one of the Jews in the town, which is at this point in history, the majority of the Jews, to, to have them killed. That brings us up to the time, the moment, where Esther has to make a decision. 
she has to decide. And so here's the heart of the story. In Esther 4, um, starting in verse, the, uh, verse 13, we kind of pick up a, a conversation that's going on back and forth between Mordecai and Esther about the fact that uh, all these Jews are going to be killed. And, and Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. Because the, the law will say all of the Jews, when they discover you're a Jew, they didn't know that yet, but they would. And when they did, she would be killed too. And he says, if you keep quiet at a time like this, very difficult time for them, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. So he says, God's going to do it. If he doesn't do it through you, he's going to do it through somebody else. But you're going to die. All your relatives are going to die. And then he asks the famous question from the book, Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this? And we ask you that question, that maybe you were made for just such a time as this. It's a tough time for you, maybe. Maybe there's things going on that you hadn't planned, and you would just like it to be gone, but maybe there's a decision for you to make. Maybe there's something for you to do. Esther then sends this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather all the Jews um, together, all the Jews of Susa, she says, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will go do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go into the king. And if I must die, I must die. So she's going to lay it all on the line. She gets them fasting for her. She's going to lay it all on the line. And it says, Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. In this message today, here's what I want to do. I want to focus in on a theme. A theme that's a big part of this book, but I think it's a theme that's repeated through all of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. And here's the theme. God puts his hand on available individuals. And the key there is available. He puts his hand on available individuals, inviting and empowering them to be a significant part of his redemptive work in the world. He doesn't make them do it. He invites them to do it. These people who are just available, it doesn't say they're really great, they're really equipped or anything. They're just available. And God says, I can use that. And he wants them to be a part of this incredible plan fulfilling his purposes of redemption and grace throughout the world. So I want to talk for just a moment or two about this this idea from this book about the power of one. As we read the book of Esther, we get that. But it's all through Scripture, the power of one. And I'm going to look at three different things about that. The first one is this, that most often it's just one person. That's where it starts. It starts with one person. And there are all kinds of examples all throughout Scripture about this. Like, like Abraham, one guy who God says, you know what, I want you to pick up and move to a land that I'll tell you on the way where you're going. And out of your obedience, out of your faith, I'm going to build a nation that will outnumber the sand of the seashore and the stars of the sky and, and, and grace and healing and hope will come out of this for the whole world. But one guy, Abraham. You look at Joseph. Joseph, one guy, and, and I, I read a, a thing on him lately. It was just fascinating. It talked about here was a guy who went from a pit to a prison. And, and he was sold by his brothers into slavery, thrown in the pit, um, taken to, to Egypt and put in a prison. He ended up being the number two guy under the king. And because of this one guy and his faith... All of the nation of Israel was saved during this incredible famine. Um, We look at David. 
David, for sure, many times during his life stood alone. The first time that we see that in a big way is when he comes out to the battle and there's a whole hillside full of the Philistines who they're fighting at this time and all of the Israelites are lined up there, the Philistines are lined up there, but there's this guy standing out there in the field and he's like nine and a half feet tall. He's got this giant spear, he's got a big shield on, you know, and, and, and David's like, what's, what's happening? Why is he out there? And he's out there defying God and saying bad things about God. And David said, what's that all about? And they said, well, somebody's got to fight him, and, and whoever wins, the, that army wins, and, and none of them are going out to fight this giant. And here's little David. He's probably like, at this time, like 14, 15, 16 years old. And he says, I'll be that one person, and I'll do what God wants me to do. You have some, there's a guy, you might not even know who this is, Josiah. Josiah was a king. He was king for 30-some years. When he became king, he was eight years old. Eight years old. King over all of Israel. That's pretty amazing. Partway, he was actually one of the best kings he ever had. Partway through his reign, he's now like 14, 16, something like that. He begins to really follow God and really change some things up. And some amazing things happen because of this one guy that made a decision. Um, one of my favorite stories, um, Ezekiel, not a book you hear a whole lot about. Um, there's, a, there's a point in Ezekiel where God is talking to him and the, 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 the nation is in a bad way right now. And there's some people that may be doing what they, what they need to, but you have this whole nation, and then you have God, and there needs to be somebody to take care of it. And God says in Ezekiel, I, I'm, I, I'm searching to and fro through the whole earth to find somebody who will stand in the gap. And it's interesting because I always thought of a certain thing when I heard that, but I, I think of something different now. But what he was saying was, you have this gap, and it might be that there's a whole bunch of people, but there's somebody hurting here, and there's somebody here, and you need to be the one in the middle, but it's somebody that needed to be that prayer warrior. And literally in this point, it was to somebody to stand between God and these people and, and kind of get them going the right direction and say, God, look at these people are going the right direction and, and really praying for them. I think about that still, but I think about it a little differently now. We were in, we got to take this amazing vacation I told you about, my in-laws, uh, we went with my in-laws, and, and, and we were in London. And one of the things they do in London is they use the same words as we do, but they mean something different. And it's, it's weird communicating. But one of the things they say on a regular basis is like, if you're in an elevator um, and the door's going to open or close, a voice comes on and it says, mind the door. And it's like, you mean watch out for the door, you know, look out. But it says, mind the door, mind your head. Whenever you're getting into their subway, um, there's between the subway and the station, depending on the curve of the track, there can be a three or four inch gap or there can be a gap like this. You don't want to step down in there. Very bad in the subway. So go ahead and put the next picture up. This is what we saw all over. We laughed at it for a long time. Mind the gap. Mind the gap. Now all I think of when I see that is Ezekiel. Mind the gap. God's looking for somebody to stand in the gap. You don't want to literally stand in that gap. Um, but you want to stand in the gap between, between people who need you to be there. So maybe you're the one, like Ezekiel, that is supposed to mind the gap and doing that by literally standing there.
We have New Testament people, all kinds of New Testament people that do that. You have Mary, one person, just one person that says yes to God. And it changes the whole course of history. You have Peter. You have Peter who, who, who stood against many people and said, you know, I don't know what you're, I know that you're telling me not to do this, but I can't not do this because Jesus told me to do it. Gave his life for Jesus. You have Paul. Same thing. One person made a difference and reached untold generations of Gentiles for, for God. We also have those people, though, in history, not just in the Bible. You have people like Martin Luther King Jr., who I, I could say he was certainly made for that moment, for such a time as this. And he could have said, nah, thanks, too dangerous. But he didn't. He was just one person, but he said yes to God. You have somebody named John Newton. You might not even recognize the name John, John Newton. John Newton was one of the ones that spearheaded the movement that eventually um, got the whole slave trade thing out of the picture. But the funny thing is, he started out as a slave trader. And God miraculously changed him, got a hold of his life, and he wrote a song that that was a big deal then and still is a big deal. I think you probably know his song. It's called Amazing Grace. One person. One person. I, I read a whole bunch this week just because every once in a while I get in this phase. I read a whole bunch this week on Billy Graham. You talk about one person. One person who could make such a difference in the world because he was available and said yes to God. Here's the thing. For some people, you are that one person. For some people. I I think of the the sign. Um, As a kid, it really gave me a lot of distress. I came home and my parents said, what's wrong, what's wrong? And I said, I just found out today that I'm the only one who can prevent forest fires. I, I, I saw a sign, and he was pointing at me. And he said, only you can prevent. And, and the, it was overwhelming because I knew how many forests there were, and it was a big deal. It was good to realize I wasn't responsible for all of the forests. But you know what? There was one next to my house I was responsible for. I, th- there's a story there, but I'm not going to tell it right now. Here's the thing. I don't know what's going on with you right now, but here's what I do know. There are people around you. There are people around you here. There are people around you at home. There are people around you at your, at your work or, or, or at, at a thousand other places that are watching you that need you. They need you to step up and be that one. And for me, when that day, when that day comes, like every day, I want to be ready. I don't want to miss those opportunities. I want to be that one person. I want you to be that one person. And it's one person in one moment. That's the next thing. One person in, in one moment. And we look at some of those big stories of those people from the Bible, and they had amazing things in their life. Many, many things happened, but there was always this one moment that was kind of a turning point for them. There's people like Elijah who has his his Mount Carmel experience where because of the power of God, the enemy gets defeated and, and and is put on the run because he was willing to stand up against all the odds and say, okay, fine, I'll be the one. In that moment, he'll be the one. 
You have Peter in the New Testament um, and his, his interaction with Cornelius and how it changed how the whole early church at that time looked at people coming to Jesus to get saved and how it shifted from it's not just a Jewish thing. It's for everybody. And in that one moment, all of history changed. Like Paul going up on Mars Hill and, and talking to people and, and with his intellect, sharing with them the good news of Jesus and how that changed so much in so many cities. And I mentioned earlier, Billy Graham, just a, a, an available guy who said yes to God. And did, and, and had, you know, he had many meetings before this, but what really took things off was he had these tent meetings in Los Angeles, and instead of a few thousand people, you know, five, ten thousand people came. Instead of three or four nights, it would go three or four weeks, or six weeks, or 16 weeks. And, and in that moment, he realized God is going to do something. And because of that one guy and that one moment, there's between two and three million people because of that one man who have, who have come to Jesus. It's, it's a big deal. We, we mentioned Martin Luther King. He certainly had his moment in, in um, Selma, Alabama, where he could have said, you know what, this is, this is not the time. This is not going to work. But he stepped up. He stepped up. It did end up costing him his life, but there was that one man in that one moment. Here's the thing about moments you can't predict them. You never know when they're going to show up. We don't know when these moments are going to happen. There's been many moments in my life where I was the one person in that one moment and it changed the course of somebody's life. But it wasn't like a couple days or weeks before I could say, okay, on this day at that time, that's going to be that moment. Here's the thing. You have to be ready. What, what that means is this moment, whatever this moment is for you, is a time of preparation for that one moment that's coming. It may be next year. It may be tomorrow. It may be this afternoon. But right now, we have this time to prepare. And what that means is day by day by day, becoming closer to God, spending time with Him, making the right decisions, doing the right things, day by day by day. So when that moment comes, you're ready. It's not as, as big a leap because you've been taking all that time. So we have one person, we have one moment, and then the third thing is one act of obedience. It's one, one act of obedience. God uses one person, one believer, in one moment who commits one single act of obedience to turn the tides of history we looked at so many of those names, there's hundreds and hundreds more that changed history because there was one person, one available believer in one moment who did one act of obedience. But it's not about waiting for that moment. Oh, I'm looking forward for that moment. It's about today, day by day by day in obedience to God. Living for God, whatever that means, wherever you're at, in the context you're in, side by side with God's family. 
Because that's the whole one another's in Scripture. We talk about that. It's like 50 times in the New Testament. It's, it, it has these commands that we call the one another commands. You know, love one another, serve one another, care for one another. It has all of these commands. You can't do that alone. There's a lot of people say, oh, I'm not a Christian, but I don't like the church thing. I don't go to church. It's like, then you can't do what you're supposed to do. You can only do that in the context of a local church. And it's about standing side by side with people and serving and growing and preparing so that for you, it becomes the natural thing to do the right thing. Because when we start off, the natural thing is not the right thing. We have a way that we end up usually doing, but it's usually the wrong way. And the more we follow Him, the more we serve and grow and prepare, the more that natural things becomes the right thing. So there's one person, one moment, and one act of obedience. Now here's, the, uh, there's, there's somebody here today who needs to hear this. You can do hard things. You can do hard things. And you should do hard things as if you're the only one who could. That's the mentality that you should have. Even if I am the only one to do the right thing, I'll do the right thing, even if I'm all alone. Even if I stand alone, even if there's this, even maybe it's in my family and there's someone in that circle, that sphere of influence that nobody wants to touch. And you say, you know what? Even if nobody else will stand by that person, I will. I'll stand in the gap for them. I'll be there. I'll be there for them. If necessary, I'll speak truth to them from a heart of love and compassion knowing that that's a hard thing to do sometimes. It's a messy thing to do sometimes. But I can do that hard thing because I want to be that one person in that one moment and have that one act of obedience. I'll do the hard thing. I'll do the right thing because I follow Jesus. And Jesus did the hard thing. Remember, we talked about this in one of our previous series. It's about making the hard right instead of the easy wrong. Anybody can do the wrong. We want to make the hard right instead of the easy wrong. But here's a key. As we're talking about the power of one, you making that right decision in that right moment, one does not mean alone. Did you catch that? It's important. One does not mean alone. When the church first started, in the beginning of the book of Acts, they were a community together. They loved each other. They served each other. They gave up for each other. They, they, they exemplified something that, that has not really caught on much since then in too many churches. But here's what they said. In the middle of that amazing community, each one of those people said, I'll be the one to do the right thing. There was thousands of them. But each one of them said, I'll be the one to do the right thing. And they did it together. They stood together. And that little thing that started way back then has been going now for over 2,000 years, and it's gone over the entire planet. As they said, I'll be the one to do the right thing. I want to read for you just one more time. I don't even think I, I don't know if I have this up on the screen. If I do, fine. If I don't. But um, from Esther 4, um, Esther's reply was this. She sent this reply to Mordecai, Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then 
Though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. You see, she is going to do something and stand against all odds, but she also recruits help, like, like prayer assistance. She says, I'll be the one, but I, I won't do it alone. I need others to stand with me to do this. You see, Jesus, Jesus did the hard thing. He did it alone. He came and died alone. What only he could do. He paid the price for sin. He won our salvation, and he was the only one who could do that. He did that alone for you. But you remember he spent three and a half years laying the groundwork for something that would keep us from having to do the hard things alone. It's called the church. He did alone for us what only he could do, but he inaugurated this amazing thing called the church so we could say, I'll be the one, but you don't have to be the one alone. Because even though we we see this pattern of using the one over and over and over, the truths we have to see from this is anybody can be the one. It doesn't take some super person to be the one. You can be a great force for the gospel and for change in the world around you. You might not change all of Pine City or all of Minnesota or all of the United States or all of the world, but you can change your world. And imagine if everybody in here changed their world by being the one that said yes to God. You see, our acts of obedience don't have to be monumental to the world. They can be small, personal things, and they should be daily. Because every act of obedience matters. And if our pattern is to continually do the acts of disobedience, when our moment comes, we ain't going to be ready. See, we are, at Journey in Our Church, we are a community of ones is really what we are. That's what the church is. Esther, before taking action, asks Mordecai to get people fasting. She asks her maids to do the same thing. She became one among the many, relying on the strength of others. So really, the, the, the challenge is not will you be the one, it's will you be the one among many. Knowing that When I say, I'll be the one even if nobody stands with me. When I'm in the community of the church, I have people who will stand with me when I make those tough decisions. So will you be the one who prays with the many to reach this community for Jesus with the incredible good news of the gospel of Jesus, the redemption that can come because of what Jesus did? Will you be the one alongside the many who will share their hope that comes because of Jesus. Too many people think in order to share my faith, I have to have all the answers. They're going to ask questions I don't know the answer of. Who cares? They ask questions I don't know the answer of. Here's what I know. Jesus loves you. He loves me. He died for me. And because of that, I have hope. And I can share my story of hope with people. I don't have to answer all their questions. If they ask a question I don't, I don't know the answer to, do you know what I say? Here, you can, you can use these words. I don't know. <laughs> the reason is because 99 times out of 100, their question that they're asking you doesn't matter. 
Here's what matters. They need Jesus. So if every day you're being the one, if every day you're being that person and living your life, they see that. Do they see the, 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 the flubs? Yeah, they see that too. But they see a God who loves you. They see you have hope because of his grace. And you don't have to do that. You're the one. You can be the one among the many. I'd like to ask you to pray, to, to bow your heads as we pray. Because it's very possible that today, maybe you realized you, you can't be the one because you're not one of his. This whole thing about Jesus dying on a cross for your sin, you just thought it was about church and religion. And it's not about religion at all. It's about that relationship with God who loves you. You say, but you don't know what I've done. Nope, I don't, but God does. And knowing what you, di- what you did, he died for you and loves you more than you could ever imagine. And you can believe and receive today the one who can save you. And that's Jesus. It's only Jesus can do that. He did the hard thing for you. And if you've never made that decision, you have to individually decide I'm, I trust Jesus that what you did was for me. I believe that what you did on the cross was to pay for my sin, and I am claiming you as my Savior. I, I want that life. I want to be able to make the hard right instead of the easy wrong. And then when you individually decide that, to have Him be your Lord and Savior, you'll never have to be alone again. He'll never leave you or forsake you. The church will be there for you. Father, there's, there's, there's people listening to this now who they've never taken that first step. They've never trusted in the one who can change everything for them, who went to the cross and died to pay the penalty for their sin, not his. And my prayer would be this morning that they would, in simple faith, say, I don't understand it all, but I trust Jesus that you did that for me. I am receiving that gift of salvation as my own. I didn't do anything for it. I don't deserve it. I could never deserve it. But I'm accepting that gift from you today. Knowing that that places us in your family and now we are the one among the many. And we thank you for that, Father. And for all those listening to this who've already stepped across that line from unbelief to belief. They've already turned their lives over to Jesus. I pray that today would be the day they recognize, regardless of what I'm going through at the moment, whether this is my moment to act or not, this is my moment to be one person in this moment doing the right thing, making the hard right instead of the easy wrong. And maybe I'm just preparing for that one moment, but I want to be ready, Father. We thank you for all that you've done, for what you're doing in us and for what you're doing through us as a church in this community. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand for the closing song. Isn't that a perfect close? Lay me down. One person, one moment, one act of obedience. Billy Graham, I told you I read about him this week a lot. For whatever reason, God laid that on my heart. And, and I actually read the story of something. I heard him say six words over and over and over again throughout his ministry. And I found out the story of those six words. Borden, like in the company Borden, you know, the dairy products and all the Borden stuff out there. Bill Borden, one of the Bordens, decided that God had called him to be a missionary in China. 
And all of his friends are like, yeah, you come from a kind of wealthy family. What a waste of your life. And he said, I am not waste my life if I do what Jesus wants me to do because he loved God and he loved people. And so he went. He was only there a short time. And he contracted this disease and died. By his bedside, they found a note that he had written as he was dying. On the note, it said, no reserve, no retreats, no regrets. That's the kind of life I want to live. No reserve, no holding back, no retreat, no going back, no regrets, no looking back. And I, get, I guarantee he had more meaning in his life in that short time than most people have in a lifetime. Because one person, one moment, one act of obedience can make a difference. Look around you at the moment. You know what you're standing in the middle of? A whole bunch of ones that together can do amazing things. So are you ready to be the one today? I didn't hear anybody say yes. (laughs) If you are, buckle up, because your first test will probably come within the next hour. (laughs) That's how it works. Do the right, make the hard right instead of the easy wrong. Be the one. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for um, laying it all down for us, that you did what only you could do for us so that we could be that one person in that one moment and sometimes by a single act of obedience we can change the world for somebody around us. Father, thank you for those opportunities. I pray that we would constantly be preparing by being closer and closer and closer to you every day. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.